Please join me in prayer. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So what's next? In the widely acclaimed television show of the late 90s and early 2000s, The West Wing, this is a constant refrain. In this show where the viewer is taken inside the White House for an intimate and fast-paced lived experience of the fictional administration of President Jed Bartlett, played by Martin Sheen, it is President Bartlett whom we hear most often utter this refrain. What's next? Sometimes this comes at the relief and other times to the consternation of those around him. Yet it is picked up quickly. It is the tone set for the pace and for the place. If you watched anything written by Aaron Sorkin, who is the writer, creator, and showrunner of West, The West Wing, you know two things. One is that he always keeps his characters on the move. And two, that dialogue follows a pattern of movement sharp-witted and quick-paced. He writes characters who seem uncomfortable to linger for too long, which is perhaps understandable in the context of a presidential administration or a TV studio or a newsroom where there is much to do and many decisions to make, many considerations and many who would like to weigh in, and very little time for any of it. So, what's next? The urgency of this question is present for me now, three years from the onset of COVID-19 and the disruption to almost every aspect of life that has left us wondering if things would ever be the same again. And still many have managed to keep up pace and to move ahead. Travel is almost back to pre-pandemic levels. The public health emergency has expired Many of us no longer carry a mask with us everywhere we go. We are ready to turn the page. And in many ways, we have, though we are certainly changed. And while things came back online with a vengeance, I wonder if you, like me, like all of us, still a little caught in the grief and the shell shock of it all, hold that question in your mind with a different tone. What's next? Sometimes the urgency trips over the need that coexists to not forget the lessons learned. That's the trick with this question. It can be asked in so many different ways. Arise within us in tones that vary as drastically as our desire to actually know the answer. I think about the trepidation of a family that has endured one trauma after another and the dread that loads the question, what's next? I think about you, our graduating seniors and your families as you look ahead with all of the hope and expectation and anxiety and excitement, what's next? I think about the one tending to the declining health of a partner whom they've loved and cared for over many years and the unknowing the guilt even that saturates that creeping question. What is next? And I think about the church, big C, 
and Little C Church. Our mission and identity in a post-pandemic, post-Christendom, ever-changing world that, for a host of justifiable reasons, does not easily grant us the authority or trust that it once did. I think about how important it is for us to consider how we hold the history and the present, what has been and what could be, intention, so that we can show up well and faithfully in this world. What's next? I think about the disciples through this post-resurrection, post-Pentecost, ever-surprising adventure with Jesus as they search for him and recognize him, as they dutifully go to meet him where he told them he'd be. In this gospel's accounting, it is here on the mountaintop where the eleven see him for the first time. It was only Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, says the gospel writer, at that tomb, at the tomb on that first day. It was these two women who passed the message along of the newly arisen Jesus. Do not be afraid, he told them. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And they do. There on the mountain, one more mountain in a story full of them, there on the mountain they saw him again finally and did just what we do here today. They worshipped him. Their minds must have been racing, though. So much to do, so many decisions, so many considerations, and so many who had wanted to weigh in. But Jesus came back to them, even after they left him. So, Matthew says, almost as an aside, they worshipped him and some doubted. The turn of phrase here in the Greek is the same as when earlier in the story, Peter ventured boldly out onto the waters to meet Jesus. Jesus had invited him with the simple word, come. But as the winds picked up, Peter faltered. Jesus caught him asking, you of little faith, why do you doubt? In John's gospel, it is Thomas who is the doubter. In Matthew's gospel, it is Peter. He is the identified patient. The identified patient is one in a family system who expresses most clearly the whole system's internal conflicts. So doubt, it seems, is inherent to the discipleship journey. There they were again, this time on dry and lofty ground, and some worshipped and some doubted, and Jesus was there with them both. One foot firmly planted in the kingdom of this earth and the other unsteadily holding ground in the kingdom of heaven, the disciples showed up. They were there as Peter was, even though they were there with two minds. Would he take them all up with him? Would he travel down with them just as he had many times before from mountains to valleys? Would he, loved, would he leave them? They've shown up with all of their various intonations of wondering and worrying, their assumptions of the triumphant and of the worst. And Jesus knew this about them because they were his friends. Jesus knows this about us because we are his friends. And he met them where they were and he gave them what they needed 
to go on. Authority and assurance. Now, mind you, the authority that Jesus gives is not like none other because it is God-given authority. Through Christ, enabled by the Spirit, it's an authority to create and to restore and to heal an authority that inflames the hearts of those who already believe and those who seek to. This is different than the authority of emperors and presidents, different even from the authority that the church has been known to use. This is not an authority of dominion, but one of self-giving and forgiving. And it is not given to us directly. It is given to Jesus who sends us with it. The assurance they are given is simply a reminder that they already have what they need. It has already been given to them. Those lessons on being reconciled to one another, on loving your enemies and not retaliating against evil, those lessons to pray and to fast and to give, but not in a way that draws attention to yourself, the lessons on accepting dinner invitations from tax collectors and letting your mind be changed by a foreigner demanding healing for her daughter, the lesson to love God and neighbor just the same as you love yourself. By now, they have learned that to follow Jesus is to be kept on the move. Perhaps Aaron Sorkin could learn something here. Discipleship takes place in the everyday acts of relationship, but it takes time to linger, while also pushing ahead, always expanding the boundaries the world imposes on our imagination and our practices. So what's next is what they've been prepared for all along. And while their minds are yet unsettled and their will still wavering, we know that they take it from there, for we are living proof, are we not? We, the church, believers of the 21st century, continue to receive this commission because those before us did, and the one before them, and on and on, and it is ours to move forward by the grace of God. There is a version of what's next that urges us to rush by and ignore what or who is right in front of us, and there's one that says the past has no impact on the future, no lesson to carry forward. There's a version of what's next that makes us want to curl up inside of ourselves and hold captive to fear. There's a version of what's next that worries that there is no next, and a similar one that just can't imagine it. Sometimes, maybe even often, we in the church, we who try to follow Jesus, can get stuck in the feedback loops of these narratives. Worried about the numbers, consumed with the programmatic fixes, sure that the budget won't make. And while these are important in keeping an institution and its mission moving forward, these are not the reason that the Church of Jesus Christ continues. An institution is not what Jesus sent his disciples, to build, nor to protect. Beyond the institution, the Church of Jesus Christ continues even with generation upon generation of two-minded disciples, 
because God has continued to be with us, just as Jesus promised. In body, in spirit, in mind, in courage, wherever and however, we show up faithfully to proclaim the good news. The question I think we are asking now, I want us to be asking now, that particular what's next for discipleship and ministry for the church post-COVID, that what next is exciting to me. There is so much potential for what the answers could be, particularly because we are being asked to use our creativity in this moment. Now, a quick sidestep here. One of the other passages in the lectionary of scripture, uh, the scripture lectionary this week is Genesis 1, the one that tells us the story of creation, of a God who has created enough, creative enough to stir up chaos and bring forth light and dark, land and water, herons and horn frogs and sea monsters and giraffes and people of all shapes and colors and abilities and capacities for love. Made in the image of this God, then, I think at heart, we are creatives. Perhaps at different times in the history of this Jesus movement, we have been sent forth to use other equally valuable parts of our Imago Dei. But I am convinced that in this time, we have been prepared for and called to lead with creativity. Over the last two weeks, I've had the pleasure to engage with two seminary presidents, one who is about to retire, the Reverend Dr. Brian Blount at Union Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Richmond, and one who is just called to begin, the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Lee Walton at Princeton <coughs> Theological Seminary, both of whom notably hold the distinction of being the first black person in the role at their institution. It was striking that despite the difference of where they were in their ministry and the institutions that they led, they were quite similar in reflecting on the task of preparing leaders for the church now and in the future. They were excited. That in itself is almost as striking as anything else. They were excited about what lie ahead for the Church of Jesus Christ. Excited about bringing new and diverse voices into the conversation. Excited about widening the skill sets of learners to help nurture communities of justice and belonging. Excited about, the challenge, about challenging the institution to break down long-held patterns that kept them set apart. There is always a what's next for the church, for the disciples of Jesus Christ commissioned into the world where God already is. It is why I love the particular catchphrase of our reformed tradition, that we are reformed and always being reformed in the spirit. It is an exciting time to be commissioned as Christ's body. So may we meet this time with all of the creativity and hope and love that we can muster and trust that as we do, Christ is with us now and to the end of the age. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.